and I'm talking to you about repositioning your use of time repositioning your use of time so this is basically a talk on biblical time management everyone say time management time management how many of you are good at time management let's be honest I'm seeing about three hands going up and the hands that are going up are not convincing okay you see one of the interesting things in life one of the big common denominators in life is time whether you're Bill Gates Sean Anderson Paul Nyamuda Wimbai Chariga Lena I was about to use her old surname Lena Masoha regardless of who you are we've all been given 24 hours in a day the difference between you and me the difference between you and Bill Gates the difference between you and Richard Branson the difference between you and Jacob Zuma is how we use that time that's the difference that's the difference and I'm believing that God is going to do something very powerful this morning he's going to give us a revelation of time He's going to give us a revelation of time my anchor scripture is Ephesians chapter 5 I'm going to read from verse 15 to 17 Ephesians chapter 5 verse 15 to 17 it says here see then that you walk circumspectly not as fools say to the person next to you don't be a fool not as fools but as wise redeeming the time because the days are evil therefore do not be there's that word again do not be unwise so one of the ways in which wisdom manifests is in the use of time the degree to which you are able to redeem the time very often is indicative of your wisdom and a lot of people are unwise in how they use their time or oh, let me just use the Bible word a lot of people are foolish in how they use their time your foolishness will be seen in how you use your time your wisdom will be seen in how you use your time it says therefore do not be unwise but understand what the will of the Lord is this shows me that when I have a revelation of God's will for my life I'm more likely to use my time effectively I'm more likely to redeem the time when I have an understanding of God's will so we start to understand that very often what people call time management and the management of time is not really the management of time it's really the management of purpose say to the person next to you purpose I know a lot of people like pronouncing certain things in a very African way to make a point some of you do that you went to those Model C schools but when you want to really emphasize something purpose say to the person next to you purpose all right it's not so much about managing my time it's about managing my purpose because when I know what God's will is I'm more likely to redeem the time are you hearing me this morning it's about managing your 
purpose. You see, there's a change that came into my life when I began to understand the principle that ultimately our goal is not so much about generally speaking in my life, I want to make sure Jesus is glorified. But it's when you chunk your life into moments and when you begin to say, this moment must glorify Jesus. You see, many people make this mistake. And please hear me very carefully this morning. Many people make this mistake. They say, I'll mess around and I'll waste my life right now. But don't worry, I'll make up for it and glorify Jesus with the rest of my life when I'm settled down and married and I can't be naughty anymore because I have to be accountable to my wife or my husband. Many people live like that. But you see, we heard from Pastor Vim this morning, there's a principle, in fact, it's a law in scripture of sowing and reaping. So each time you are wasting your life, sowing into the flesh, the Bible says he who sows into the flesh reaps corruption. When the Bible uses that word, it talks about things being incorruptible. Incorruptible means life, means it cannot die. So when it talks about reaping corruption, that's death. Corruption is death, when something is corrupted. Amen? And so the Bible tells us that when you sow into the flesh, you reap corruption. And so we understand this principle to mean that you can think that you can mess around when you're a youngster and then glorify Jesus later on in your life. But that messing around was sowing of seed. You see, I can't say, you know what, let me get this weed seed. Is there seed for weed? Right? Let me get this weed seed and let me waste time just sowing it into my garden. It's fine. Later on, I will get nice grass and plant it. No, that seed of weed that I have been sowing, I'll end up reaping weeds. So don't think that when you waste your life, the outcome or the fruit of it is something neutral. It's never neutral. You will end up wasting time having to unlearn what you were learning when you were wasting your life. Are you following me this morning? Someone who does similar work to what I do once said, the bad news is time flies. I mean, if you sometimes feel like that, time, just, time is just flying, time is just flying. But he went on to say, the good news is you're the pilot. The good news is you're the pilot. Time flies, but you're the pilot. I started to understand that life is made up of moments and that I had to have a mindset every day in my life to say this next hour, how can I redeem the time so that God is fully glorified? I remember the one day being in a situation where I was at home. My wife was also at home. She had just come back from somewhere. I think she was quite busy. And I remember that she was about to make herself some lunch. She was about to eat some lunch. And I was working in my room, in my, in my study. And I could have carried on working and I felt like carrying on working. But God had given me that conviction that every moment of my life is accountable to him. How am I redeeming the time? And instead of thinking, what's the best use of the time of my life? The however many years he gives me, I had to break it down to that next 30 minutes. What's the best use of that time? And immediately I knew what it was. 
even though I'd already eaten or wasn't eating or something like that, it was to go and join my wife and sit down with her while she was eating. And of course, being me, I told her that. I said, yeah, I had some stuff to do and so on, but the Lord actually, you know, and I was obedient to the Lord because I'm a real cool husband, you know what I'm saying? And I spent that time sitting with her while she was having her meal. Are you hearing me this morning? Life is made up of moments. And some of you are in a space in your life where you've been saying, you know what, it's fine, I'll do it later. No, it's fine. I'll start serving God later. Right now, I'm a pew warmer. I'm an official pew warmer. That's my role in the church. But the question to ask yourself is, how can I glorify Jesus in this next hour? You see, often when we encourage people like I did at the start of the service, what did I say? Oh, many of you won't know because there are only about three people at the start of the service. Anyway, um, what I exhorted you to do at the start of the service, we said, let's worship God. And often we say, let's worship him like we've never worshipped before. And we understand that, don't we? We get that. Because in our minds, we're like, oh, this next 20 minutes, next 25 minutes, I've only got 25 minutes and I'm now going to be worshipping in song for these next 25 minutes. But that's how we must live our lives. Whereas we go from here, we say the next hour, the next two hours, the next moment, the meeting with my boss, the date with my wife, the meeting with that gentleman in the church, how can I maximize on that moment and ensure that Jesus is fully glorified? Are you hearing me this morning? So what does redeem mean? When we say redeem the time, redeem means to reclaim, to recover, to retrieve, to rescue, to regain it. You see, you cannot really manage time. Managing time is like trying to manage the air. How do you change the air around you? The, the air around you is the air around you. I can't really go and now start changing the composition of the oxygen around me and so on. I adapt to it. Amen? It's the same as time. Time is a constant. That's one of the principles of time. I know sometimes you think, hey, the time just went so quickly. Hey, this afternoon. Oh, time flies when you're enjoying yourself. But it's the same. One minute last week is the same as one minute this week. Amen? The difference is how I manage myself in the context of that time. The difference is how I manage my purpose in the context of that time. That's the difference. And have you noticed the way people use time is very different. There are some people, for example, who work half-day jobs. And I often warn them, be very careful about half-day jobs if you're a very efficient person. Because a lot of people who work half-day jobs, they get paid for a half-day job, but they do a full-day's job. How many of you have been in that space? How many of you have worked a half-day job, and what you can do in, in those four hours... You'll see other people. People will use up whatever time they're given to do work. Have you noticed that? And so someone is there the whole day, but there they're going tea breaks, multiple tea breaks, you know. They have their early morning tea break, then their mid-morning tea break, then their pre-lunch tea break, and then their lunch, then their post-lunch relaxation. And there you are being paid for half day, but you know, you're even taking work home. People use time differently. And may God this morning give us a revelation of the use of time. Now, I want to share with you a little story. A lighthouse keeper who worked on a rocky stretch of a coastline received his new supply of oil 
once a month to keep the light burning. Not being far from shore, he had frequent guests. One night, a woman from the village begged him for some oil to keep her family warm. Another time, a father asked for some oil for his lamp to light his way back home. Another friend needed some oil to lubricate a squeaky wheel. Since all the requests seemed legitimate, how many of you have a lot of legitimate requests coming your way? Okay. The lighthouse keeper tried to please everyone. I mean, if you're people pleasers. And to grant all the requests that came across his path. Toward the end of the month, he noticed that his supply of oil was very low. Soon it was all gone and the beacon went out. That night, several ships were wrecked and lives were lost. When the authorities investigated, the lighthouse keeper was very repentant. To his excuses and pleading, their reply was, you were given oil for one purpose, to keep the light burning. You were given oil for one purpose, to keep the light burning. You see, you've been given enough oil for 24 hours in a day. God gives you the energy that you need in order to do what he's called you to do. Not to meet every single person's need. And some of you are like superwoman and you want to be that hero. And sometimes the root of your heroic acts is actually pride. Where you think you're the savior of the world and you try and save and rescue everyone. You have people like that. Okay? I won't go deep into the psychology of why some people become rescuers. But the thing is, something will have to give. If you use up your oil, your divine energy that God has given you for things that he has not called you to do, at a certain point you'll run out of energy to do that which he's called you to do. And God will just be like those people in that particular story where he'll say to you one day, so what did you do with the energy that I gave you? The divine energy I gave you. You know, Paul the Apostle talks about that. He says, what, that which I do, I do with the divine energy at work within me. And he says, I wanted you to, do, to build that school. I wanted you to start those businesses. I wanted you to preach the gospel. I wanted you to sing. I wanted you to start bands and groups and write songs. But what did you use that energy for? Then you start saying, yeah, but my relatives needed this. Yeah, but you know, there are some of guys in the church, Lord, you know, that there will not be an excuse. It will not be an excuse because it seems legitimate from your perspective. How many of you know that the good is often the enemy of the great? And one of the problems we have in this life is most of us are doing second things first. You understand that? One of the principles of greatness in life is doing first things first. Where the thing that's your primary assignment in this life, that's what you prioritize and it's translated into your timetable. But most people, most people, even church folk, they're doing second things first. You know what I found? A lot of the people we admire, our heroes in this life, we look at them and we're like, wow, they're so good. They're so amazing. They're not smarter than you and me. You know what the difference is? They're doing what they were meant to do in life, what they're wired to do in life, and that's what they spend most of their time doing, so they become very good at it. And most of us are doing second things first. 
And then we look with a fixed mentality and we say, they must have been born on the right side of the railway track. And I was born on the wrong side of the railway track, so that's why they're so good and I'm average. No. Think about it. Look at people like Joyce Mayer. What does she spend most of her time doing? What she's good at, so she becomes better at it. Are you hearing me? Some of you right now in this room, you're called to preach the word. God has wired you that way. But if I ask you, how often do you preach? And you know there are many preaching opportunities, not just here. How often do you speak in front of people? Some of you will say, once every two years, pastor. So then you say, oh, but Paul is so relaxed. You know, he just goes up and he just speaks and he's not nervous. And he's I, this is what I do all the time. I do hours and hours and hours of speaking throughout the week and then also on the weekend. Amen? So there would be a bit of a problem if I was always nervous getting up and I was like, oh, actual, actual. <laughs> Amen? Some of you need to find out how to best glorify God with your life every single moment and then do that. Often I speak to people in the corporate world and I say, tell me what the thing is that you love doing the most. And you know what they say to me? They'll say something that's a subset of what they're already doing. Very often if you ask someone what their purpose in life is, it's a subset of something that they're already doing. Are you following? So they'll say, it's, poor, you know, it's when I'm talking to my customers and solving problems. And you say, oh, okay, cool. How often do you spend time doing that? Oh no, 12% of the time. And my job often as a coach is to say, how can we shift it from 12% to 70%? So that you're doing what you're good at most of the time. And then you're fruitful. And guess what Jesus says? He says, in this the Father is glorified in your bearing much fruit. God the Father is glorified by our fruitfulness. And so many Christians today are not fruitful. You see, when we talk about the use of time, we're not just talking about efficiency. We're also talking about effectiveness. Some of you are very, very good at what you do. And you do it super, super duper quick. You're very efficient. But you're not effective because you're doing things brilliantly, but you're doing the wrong thing. You know what I'm talking about? That's actually one of the differences between leaders, great leaders, and average managers. Imagine this, imagine this big forest in Central Africa. And you see these guys going, ex excavating the place, doing everything, you know, like real engineers do. And they're being admired by everyone. Wow, this is really great, this is really great. Average managers do that. Great leaders then come with a helicopter. Loudspeaker, sorry, wrong forest. <laughs> and some of you are living life like that. You're brilliant and you're so proud of how efficient you are, but you're efficiently doing the wrong thing. Can we be honest this morning? You've been given enough oil for a 24-hour day to fulfill God's purpose in your life. How much oil are you giving away to others to try to please them? Do you know that it might be the difference between life and death? Just like with that lighthouse scenario, 
might be the difference between life and death because we're not using our time in the way that God gave us to use it. One of the things the Lord started to show me recently was time is a gift. Say to the person next to you, time is a gift. Time is a gift. This is for someone in this room. Your time is a gift. Your time is a gift. If you're in a situation where you've just replaced someone, someone has just replaced you at work, and you're now working a half-day job, instead of moaning and saying, but I don't have a job, time is a gift. Time is a gift. There are many people today, right now, who literally haven't got time to do anything. The moment they get home from work, it's homework with the kids. How many of you here are in a space where your kids are all grown and you don't have to help them with homework? Or maybe they're not fully grown yet, but you're not clued up enough to help them. <laughs> That's okay, it's fine. No, you know, sometimes when kids are now at high school, there are a lot of things that my kids are doing in school, and I'm like, we never did that in grade five. I don't know. Guys, ask your mom, <laughs> okay? I'm often doing that. So, Dad, what about this? You know, your kids think you're a superhero. I'm like, mm, ask mom that. <laughs> All right? The Lord challenged me some time back. I think it was last year sometime. Because I kept complaining that, you know, I'm a, I'm a special case. I'm pastoring a church and I'm doing consulting and I'm doing this. So I don't have much time. The Lord rebuked me. He said, stop talking about the time you don't have. And begin to praise me and acknowledge the time you do have. You see, some of you are in a situation where you keep complaining. Say, I don't have a job. I'm not employed right now. God has actually blessed you. Maybe right now, not with hard cash, but with time. And when you have a revelation that your time is actually a gift, you begin to be proactive and you use it. Some of you are in a situation where you've been complaining, but I'm single. I haven't yet found the right person. I'm single. I'm single. Maybe let me just eat some Pringles because I'm so single. All right? So you're in a situation like that, complaining about how single you are. Let me tell you something. When you get married and when the kids come along, you might not have time to do that PhD that you want to do. So thank God right now, Lord, while I'm single, how can I maximize on my time? Amen? Amen. And that wasn't just for Pastor Vim, it was also for other people. Okay. <laughs> thank God. If you're in a space right now where you don't have to work, because maybe, maybe your husband or your wife is covering the bills and so on, right? Maybe just be in a space where you're saying, God, I thank you for the time that you've given me. Maybe it's time for me to just brainstorm that job, that, that, that business that I'm going to start one day. Amen? Some of you are going to go home this afternoon. Don't complain and say, oh, I'm so bored. Oh, I'm so bored. People who get bored are people who don't have a revelation of God's purpose for their lives. The moment someone comes to you and says, I'm bored, challenge them concerning the purposes of God. You see, when you live your life by moments, you redeem the time. So today when I was driving to work, right, I got onto the highway and the cops stopped me. Just as I was turning onto the highway, right? You know, not, not for any reason, they just stopped me. And I said, I said to the cop, guys, when my, when my car didn't have registration plates, I can understand why you would stop me, right? Because when people steal cars, they remove the registration plates, right? But now you're stopping me again. 
I think you just like my car. I think that's what it is, guys. I said that to the guy. And we just started talking because I've learned the principle of shaping conversations. I only had one moment with that policeman called Cosmos. I think his name is Cosmos. Only had one moment with him this morning. So do I waste the time or not? I said, you know what? I'm rushing to church right now because I wanted him to know that I'm a churchgoer. Amen? I only had one moment. I said, I'm rushing to church right now. We started talking about the carpet, started talking about various things. And in the moment I said, I'm going to church right now, he said, please pray for me. But I also have an understanding that some people want prayer, but they don't want to change their lifestyles. So some of you just say, I'll pray for you, my brother. Yes, I'll pray for you. And I said, I'll pray for you. What's your name? And he shows me, Cosmos. I said, I will pray for you, but you must also trust in Jesus. Only at one moment. Then he says, and I said, you must also trust in Jesus. That's if you don't already trust him. And he says, no, I do trust him. I do trust him. How are you using the moments? Do you see it as just, oh, these cops again are stopping me? Or do you say, Lord, maybe it's a moment to make a difference in someone's life? Oh, my boss wants, wants me in his office again. Doesn't he know I'm so busy? Could it be a moment to glorify Jesus? Oh, my husband talks so much. He just wants to talk to me again. Can't you see I'm so busy? Could it be a moment? Just give him a little peck on the cheek and say, I love you so much, honey. But I'm really busy, but I just love you. Mwah. Moment. <laughs> Ladies. Amen. I'm giving Sean Roberts ideas. He's got that smile on his face. Are you losing the touch, Sean? Are you losing the touch? One of the principles I learned some time back is that the secret to greatness is hidden in your daily routine. The secret to greatness is hidden in your daily routine. If you look at people that you admire and you want to emulate, don't just ask them about the peaks in their lives. Ask them about their daily routine. Ask them what time they wake up in the morning. Ask them how they deal with family affairs. Ask them about the moments, the routine, the lifestyle, not about the peaks. The secret to your greatness is hidden in your daily routine. The secret to your greatness is hidden in how you make use of your time. So, some principles that we need to know in understanding the nature of time. Number one, time is an unseen force. Time is unseen. You can't see it. And very often it's difficult to understand that something that you can't see is actually a gift. If I give you a gift and it's in a box nicely wrapped up, it's tangible, isn't it? How tangible is time? Some of you have, have got a, the next two weeks free. Do you see that as a gift? Or do you just think, but what am I going to do? If you don't know what to do with the next two weeks, it means that you haven't got clarity concerning purpose in your life right now. I'd encourage you to get on your knees or stand or walk around your garden and pray and say, God, may you clarify your will. That's why the Bible talks about redeeming the time and understanding what the will of God is. Time is a gift. Promise you time is a gift. Some of you, your kids don't do that much sport. They're not doing that much sport, right? So your weekend is really a gift because there's so much you can do. With some of us, 
<laughs> the other week, our kids were split up three ways, playing cricket. One in Joburg, another one here, another one in Pretoria East, just split up like that. And you're spending time watching them. Now, here's the principle. I could say, but I'm so busy because I haven't got a weekend. And I know I sometimes say that. I'm so busy, I haven't got a weekend because my kids are just doing so much sport. Friday afternoon, it's gala. Saturday morning, it's early morning, and we're going and it's cricket. I could complain about it. But the principle I've learned is you don't spend time, you invest time. So many of us complain and we say, I was spending time with my friends. No, you weren't spending time with your friends. You were investing your time, the gift of time that God has given you, into your friends. Now, was it worth the investment? You see, yesterday as I was going with Daniel and we we're going to watch Samuel playing cricket, when it's one-on-one -on -one with Daniel, Daniel doesn't stop talking. And so Daniel was talking, 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 talking. Sometimes I didn't know, is he talking to himself or is he talking to me? And he's just going for it. And I'm like, Daniel, the aircon is on. What, what was that? What did you say? What did... At a certain point, come on, let's be real now. At a certain point, I realized, wait a minute, I'm not just spending time with him. It's an opportunity to invest time into this special boy, into this wonderful, he's a wonderful guy, those of you who know Daniel. And I'm thinking, wow, I've got one-on-one -on -one time with him, no brothers around, no mother around. It's time to invest. You see, there are different stages. Some people talk about investing time, like what I'm talking about right now. Other people talk about spending time, which is sometimes just neutral. Other people talk about killing time. <laughs> One of the sports people from our school sent a message the other day to the parents because, because the he, he's, is he spending time, investing time? Is it? <laughs> He sent a message through to the parents because they'd gone over time with the cricket practice. And he says, we're just, we're killing time here. We're killing time with the kids. We're on such and such a field. You can pick them up from such and such a field, but we're just killing time. Now, from how I know that coach, he's so passionate. He wasn't killing time. He was actually investing time, training and coaching our children. Amen. When you go and have lunch with your family, or your friends afterwards, do you see it as spending time, killing time, or investing time? When you go on your next date with your spouse, or whoever you go on dates with, <laughs> are you investing in time, and are you investing wisely? So the principle here is, number one, time is an unseen force. It's so real but you can't see it. The next is that time is an equally distributed resource to everyone. Whether you Bill Gates, Jacob Zuma, or Sean Anderson, time is an equally distributed resource to everyone. It's not like some people have 24 hours in a day and other people have 16 hours in a day. We've all got 24 hours. Just think about it. Imagine God had done that. Imagine there was a setup where some people are 24-hour-a-day people and others are 16-hour-a-day people. And the moment they've done their 16 hours, they freeze. And you say, hey, you know, hey, so let's go to such and such. Hey, so what's happening? He's like, sorry, dude, I'm just a 16-hour. 
a day person like I'm about to freeze just now <clears throat> freeze no we've all been given 24 hours in a day so it's equally distributed you can't say I oh, know there's an unfair advantage guys from the first world yeah they've got 36 hours in a day and we've just got two hours a day no we've all got 24 hours in a day the next C time is constant Time doesn't speed up one day and go slower another day. What you do determines how it feels, but it's constant. D, our perception of time differs, doesn't it? Sometimes we don't feel like we've got enough of time. And other times we feel like, oh, I'm so bored, I have to. I'm just killing time here. Oh, I hope this day just goes quickly. Sometimes I do workshops where I'm just like, eh. Oh, you know that syrupy feeling you just want to get through it so what's influencing your perception of time it's you you're in the driving driver's seat you're the pilot time flies yes but you're the pilot e we often give power to time have you noticed that so you hear people saying, but don't worry, with time it will work out. No, it depends what you're doing with that time. I know with time, these things, you know, Paul, I found from my experience, that with time it will be fine. No, it depends what you're doing with time. Are you following this morning? I know time heals all wounds. No, there's some wounds that get worse with time. It depends what you're doing with that time for that wound to be healed. If you're forgiving and releasing and getting rid of bitterness in your heart, then yes. But the healing doesn't come because of the time. It's what you do with the time. So don't give power to time that time doesn't have. I know with time I'll get to know people in the church. No, it depends what you do with that time. If you're intentionally being friendly and getting to know people, yes, you'll get to know people. But there's some people who've been in this church for over a year, but they don't really know people and no one knows them. And then one day we go up to you and we say, oh, okay, is this your first time here? And then you get offended that, first time? You mean you haven't seen me? Just because you've been coming for two years doesn't mean you are known. How do you get to know people? Be known. How do I get to know you? I make myself vulnerable to you. You intentionally do it. You can be in the church five years and people not know you. Time doesn't make that happen. I remember going to a particular church that we were part of on staff and I remember the pastor saying something very interesting because we didn't know each other that well and I was getting very involved in that particular church and he said to me we're going to have to fast track our relationship we're going to have to fast track things and this pastor would always phone me hey he was quite spontaneous about certain things you know I like to sort of know how my week is going to look he was like hey, do you want to go for a movie he was very intentional with me but he was fast-tracking the relationship intentionally so that there was a connection. And at that time, some people said certain things, said oh, this about Paul or that about Paul. And his response was, you know what? The closer I get to Paul and the more I get to know him, I just, I'm, I just trust him more. And I'm just growing to like him even more. You know, there's some people, as you get to know them, you don't like them and you distance yourself. Then other people, as you get to know them, you like them more. That's what he was saying. Are you hearing me this morning, please? Okay. 
F. There are two major ways to look at time management. There are two major ways to look at time management. Often when we talk about managing our time, we talk about conventional time management. So we say at 8 o'clock I'll do this, then at 10 o'clock I'll do that, then at 12 o'clock I'll do this, and we've got our nice to-do list and we know what we're going to do when. When you think time management, you think of that, don't you? That's conventional time management. What a lot of people don't get into is a different type of time management. Very different. And we talk here about inner time management. Inner time management. Inner time management is to do with how am I feeling while I'm doing the task. You see, most people, they do things the wrong time of the day. It's fine for me to say at 12 midnight I will start writing those letters. But how am I feeling at 12 midnight? I remember my wife speaking to me some time back and she said, my love, don't you think you should just go to bed earlier? And then if you wake up early and you do the same task, it, you'll be quicker at it. And I started doing that and I found it to be true. Because sometimes some tasks that you do, maybe at 4 p.m. when lunch is way back there and supper is way ahead there and you're experiencing that sugar low, that's not always the right time to do that particular task. Amen? And so as you plan your moments and you plan, as you plan your day, ask yourself about inner time management. How am I feeling when I'm doing it? And is this the best time to be doing a particular thing? Amen? And that's how you can maximize the glory that goes to Jesus with that particular moment. Because you're giving your best at the right time. See, I started to discover that certain things that I was trying to do at 11.30 at night could take me two hours to do because I was half asleep as I was trying to do them. But if I just woke up at four and did some of those things, guess what? I could do them in maybe 30 minutes and my mind was sharp. That's a word for some of you here. You're doing certain things the wrong time of the day. And when I help people with this, sometimes I'll say to them, why are you struggling to get up in the morning? Or why are you taking up so much time early in the morning? It's like, no, because I have to wash my hair. And then also I have to make uh, uh, sandwiches for the kids and I have to do this and I have to do that. Uh, why don't you do that the night before? There's nothing sacred about doing it in the morning. I remember one particular person from a particular people group, a people group that tends to have... Uh, yeah, okay, from a particular people group. <laughs> and this person felt guilty about making sandwiches for the family the night before. They felt, no, but I just feel I need to do it in the morning so it's fresh. Nothing wrong with doing it the night before and putting it in the fridge, guys. Some of you have this thing like, no, it has to happen in the morning. Then you don't pray in the morning. And then you're stressed out because your kids are coming, running around you, and you're like, but I still have to do this, guys. I'm doing this, I'm doing this. Why don't you just do it the night before? What are you trying to squeeze into the morning before you go to work or do your daily duty, whatever that is, that you could be doing the night before? What are you doing that's taking you three hours to do, but you only need an hour to be doing it? I remember speaking to a group of people about this issue of time management. And they'll say to me, Paul, how do you do all the things that you do? And I began to reflect and I said, well, one of the things is I've got boundaries. And I said, the problem with you all is that you go to these social gatherings and you are there for a number of hours. 
whether it's with your extended family or just people, and you're not able to extend your to exercise your boundaries. And so you see these people there, and after being there for about four hours, one person plucks up the courage to say, and they always have to have an excuse. Have you noticed? Hey guys, you know what? I need my son is at a play date, and I need to go and fetch him. So, uh, so I have to go now. And then everyone else gets up and they're like, oh, am I parking you in? Let me also go. And my question has always been this. My question has always been this. At what point do all these people want to leave? That's passivity. And you know what that shows me? It shows me that we're not honoring God with our time because our posture should be, God, what's the best use of my time right now? Whether this person will feel hurt by me going or not. My primary honor is you, not idolatry toward men. I know, but they'll, they'll feel hurt. They'll feel, that's their own problem. I'm trying to show you the difference between successful people and average mediocre people. Them feeling hurt is their own problem. You're not responsible for their emotional state. You're responsible and accountable to God Almighty for how you used your time. So often I go to places, I maximize on the moments. I have quality discussions with people. And at a certain point I say, it's been real. And I go and I do what my assignment is to do. Time is a gift. Time is a what? Time is a gift. How are you using it? You see, when we talk about boundaries, we have what we call collapsed boundaries. And a lot of people have collapsed boundaries where everyone is shaping their time. How many of you know that the unprepared person will always be at the mercy of the prepared person? If you are prepared and you know what the next two weeks of your life need to look like in order to honor God, when people come to you and they say, oh, but Paul, but this, oh, but Paul, but this, you're able to say, you know what, I can do it, but only in two weeks' time. You're still being gracious, but you understand what your assignment is right now. You have collapsed boundaries, and many people have that. No boundaries at all. Then on the other extreme, you have rigid boundaries. And these are those people who are so rigid. You know those people? Had you told me before, they can't do anything spontaneous. No, but we hadn't planned it. And whenever something goes off track or out of plan, they're thrown. I remember working with a particular couple where the lady was just like, I'm struggling with my husband. He's got no spontaneity. If we're driving down to Cape Town, they're originally from Cape Town. If we're driving down to Cape Town and I just want to stop over here. We want to enjoy the journey. He's got this whole thing. You know, especially a lot of us as men, we're like, you know what, it's going to take us this many hours. So it has to take this many hours. And then you get annoyed if your kids, you know, when you're going along the road and your kids are like, I need the loo, I need the toilet. And you're wondering, but we've just stopped. <laughs> Now you need the loo. What are we going to do? I remember one time, I think we're driving from East London and we stopped somewhere and the kids needed the loo or something like that and we just stopped somewhere in the middle of nowhere. And then I remember like as we stopped, I see, I see the snake like just, you know, kind of like next to the passenger seat, seat just like outside the car, but you know, just whew, like guys, come on. So careful, be careful of stopping in the middle of nowhere, especially if you're going to use the toilet. Not that there's a toilet in the middle of nowhere, but if you're going to, you know what I'm trying to say. You don't want to be bitten by anything. Okay, stop the visual, stop the visual, stop visualizing this. All right. <laughs> All right. So inner time management is so important. What is the quality of the time I'm spending with you? It's not just about spending it. 
One of the things I did yesterday, there was a particular pastor friend of mine who wanted to visit me, who wanted to visit with me, as the Americans say, wanted to spend time with me. And I knew that my next two weeks are full, full, full. And I thought to myself, what do we do? What do we do? And I just said to him, you know what? I had a brainwave. I think it was a God moment. And I just said to him, you know what? I'm going to be at Rivonia Primary School in Joburg tomorrow watching one of my kids playing cricket. And you know how cricket is. It's not always... Yeah, you know how cricket is, right? And I said, why don't you meet me there? So part of the time I was having this meeting with this pastor friend of mine while we were watching cricket. How can you double your time? How can you double up with the various things you do? Some of you need to be discipling more people. Don't wait for that special coffee where it's just, oh, and we're having a coffee and we just... Get them involved in your life. When you're going and watching your kids swim, when you're going and doing your shopping, that's how my relationship with Pastor Michael built up. I remember there was a time when he says to me, he phones me, and I was about to do a grocery shop, I think it was for a GOP activity. He says, where are you right now? It was a particular Saturday morning. I said, I'm going to do a grocery shop. And he says, which shop are you going to? I tell him, pick and pay, hyper, you know, um, out that side, life center. Life? Lifestyle center. I said, I'm going there. And he says, I'm going to come. And there he was, he was pushing the trolley while I was doing that. Are you, are you following? You, you double up. That's redeeming the time. May God give us creativity in how we use our time. The next point is that the use of time determines our productivity. How you use your time will determine how productive you are. Efficiency is doing things right, where there's minimum wasted effort. And effectiveness, as many of you know, is doing the right things, where you gain the desired results. I don't just want to be doing the right thing. I want to be doing the right thing efficiently. There are many people in their lives, they're doing the right thing, looking after their kids, doing homework with their kids, loving on their families, but they take too long to do it. We know someone who's a, who's a good cook and they're improving as a cook. And I was, asking, I was telling my wife, I said, so-and-so cooks really well. And my wife said, yeah, but she's slow. And those of you who know my wife, she's mis-efficient about like everything. Well, well, yeah, most things in her life. She's super quick. All right? We want to do the right thing, but we want to do it efficiently so that we're freed up to do what else we need to do. Ask yourself the question, the people that I care about the most, what do they need from me that only I can give them? The rest you can delegate. The people I care about the most, what do they need from me that only I can give them? The rest you can do what? You can delegate. I remember one Saturday a number of years ago, those of you on the, who've been to the Kingdom Business Forum page, it was when I was doing that particular seminar in Joburg. And I remember just before going there, it was a thing with entrepreneurs. Samuel says to me, my firstborn, he says to me, Daddy, how come mom is coming to watch us play soccer this morning? How come you aren't coming to watch us? Because that was, they're used to that. And I said, I'm going to speak to some entrepreneurs. I'm doing a seminar this morning. And Samuel says to me, but Daddy, uh, someone else can do that. Can you come and watch me play soccer? What was Samuel communicating? He was communicating a deeper truth. He was communicating, I only have one dad. There are many other people that can speak to entrepreneurs, but I only have one dad. Are you hearing me?
the people that you care about the most, what do they need from you that only you can give them? The rest you can delegate. What can you give your wife that only you can give her? <laughs> okay. <laughs> some, people are <laughs> some people are thinking certain things. Okay. The point I'm trying to make. Are you doing things that other people could be doing? One of the things I learned some time ago is the things that I love. There are other people who loathe those things. And the things that I loathe, there are some people out there who love those things. Let them do it. Amen? And some of you are wasting a lot of time doing things that aren't important because of a cultural mindset. In my culture, a man has to do this. Is it what God has assigned you to do? In my culture, a wife must always do this. My friends, let me tell you, when you are there at the judgment seat of Christ, you'll say, did you do what I called you to do? You won't be able to say, but Lord, you must understand because in my culture, you'll say, but what did my word say? Did my word put that enforcement on you? And those of you who've got a problem with that, do you know how often Jesus challenged man-made tradition? He dealt with that with the Pharisees. He says, you guys have exalted the traditions of men to nullify the word of God. There's nothing wrong with tradition. There are many good traditions, but there's a problem when our traditions are exalted above the word of God. And we see it as pastors. We give advice to people and we say, this is what the word of God says. Two weeks time, person comes back, they've done the opposite thing. And we say, well, why did you do that? Yeah, I know my auntie was saying, because in our culture, pastor, what we do, so, do you go by the word or do you go by your culture? Because sometimes there's conflict between the two. Someone once said, don't be fooled by the calendar. There are only as many days in the year as you make use of. How many days are in a year? 365. No? 365. And in a leap year? Korabashenda, Korabashenda, Pastor. All right? Now watch this. Look at that. There are only as many days in the year as you make use of. Don't talk about 365 days if you're going to waste half of them. One man gets only a week's value out of a year, while another man gets a full year's value out of a week. That's why some people are paid a lot of money for just two days' work. You understand? Because of the value they command. Two days of Richard Branson's time, two days of Bill Gates' time, might be the equivalent of 10 years of some other people's time. No, seriously. If someone just has a crown idea and they share that crown idea with you just in five minutes, that's worth more than 10 months of someone working for you. If I sit down with you and I spend five minutes with you, how much value is that five minutes with you? Yeah? How valuable is five minutes with you? I know, how I know what I'm worth. I know how valuable five minutes with me is worth. Or an hour with me. I know how valuable it is. 
And sometimes I don't get it. I meet with some people and there's some people who maximize on those particular moments. They'll ask me so many questions. It's a fruitful time. There are other people I meet with and they'll spend the whole time talking about, yeah, my grandmother's kitten died two weeks ago. I'll just be there listening. And afterwards I'm thinking to myself, okay, that's how they've used an hour with me. That's what they thought I could offer them. They're telling me how their grandmother's kitten died two weeks ago. Here's the principle. When you meet people that you value, do you maximize on that time? I have meetings with certain people and they come with notes, prepared. And they said, I've thought this through. I know your time is important. I've only got 45 minutes with you. This is what I want to get out of you. They get way more than the person who likes the sound of their own voice. Amen? If the shoe fits, please wear it, ladies and gentlemen. I've got people where I value my time with them. And I'm telling you right now, I do way more listening when I'm with them. I know I talk a lot, but when I'm with them, I'll do way more listening. Way more for the two hours that I have with them. Because I value what they can give me. Amen? I'm telling you, I've got church people when I meet with them, they, they're preaching their doctrine to me. I'm just being honest. They're sitting there and they're sh preaching. They yeah, yeah, because you see what happens, Pastor, is it needs to work like this. And I'm thinking to myself, is this, is this what we, why we're meeting? For you to share with me your doctrine and your revelation. Do you want feedback from me about your doctrine and revelation? Let's maximize on the use of time. Or do you just like the sound of your voice? You know they're those people. I know it's not here. Maybe they've missed church today, right? But you know they're those people. <laughs> Amen. Because no one here has that problem, huh? I think let me stop there. I'll carry on next week. Let me stop there. What I'm going to be doing next week is I'm going to go into what the Bible says about time management. The Bible says a number of things about time management and the various, various scriptures I'm going to share with you. And then